Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Midterm elections over? Not really. Where are we now? We'll run down what we know. The 48-day strike that cost the company $50 million. And today on the show, the Painters and Allied Trades in Maryland and the Florida Education Association. Welcome to the Wednesday, November 9th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Brian Curtian. Brian is a member of the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. That would be District Council 51, which is uh, based in Maryland. He is the business manager and secretary treasurer. Website IUPATDC51.com little background on uh, Brian. He became a member of the union back in June of 99, worked as a painter part-time in the summer and winter breaks when he was going to school. In 2005, he became a member of the Glazers. That would be uh, local union 963, where he became an apprentice. He graduated from that program in 09, and during those years became an active member and soon became a trustee. Then he just went up the ladder. In 2013, he applied to become an educational coordinator for the Finishing Trades Institute, which is the training arm of the IUPAT. And then a year later, in 2014, he was asked to become the director of apprenticeship and training until 2020, and that's when he was elected by the membership of District Council 51 to become the business manager and secretary treasurer. So obviously with a background in uh, training young people, we'll get into that, the importance of workforce development, creating those uh, relationships to create pathways to unions. A little background on uh, DC 51. Again, uh, the Painters and Allied Trades, an affiliate of the AFL-CIO, and uh, they have over 100 years of dedicated service in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. The the council currently has over 1,500 active members representing a diverse and multi-talented workforce. We're talking painters, decorators, paper hangers, drywall finishers, glazers, architectural metal and glass workers, bridge industrial painters, sign and display workers, paint makers, metal polishers, civil service workers, as well as employees in various private and public sector positions. Big union there. IUPAT.org is our uh, national website. Our second guest on the show is Andrew Spar, no stranger to the show. He's been on several times. Andrew is president of the Florida Education Association. And uh, here's an individual that was born and raised in the suburbs of New York City, attended public schools, then at the age of six, he decided to uh, take up the violin. He's been a violinist since the age of six, and he earned his bachelor's degree in music education from The Ohio State University. He graduated 
1994. And that same year, he decided to uh, go down to Florida. He went to uh, Daytona Beach to teach at the Torrey T. Small Elementary School, where more than 90% of the students, 90% of the students lived in poverty. So he found his voice as an advocate and worked ever since on behalf of public school students, the schools themselves, the teachers, and education staff professionals. And he just uh, went up the ladder, and right now he is president of the Florida Education Association, feaweb.org. Now we'll talk about the, the election results primarily in Florida, which are likely to have a profound effect on public education. There's been an attack on public education, not just in Florida, but around the entire country. And uh, despite a state surplus, I talked about this on the show maybe about a month or so ago, Florida has a state surplus of almost $22 billion. However, they rank number 48 nationally in terms of teacher pay with the average teacher's salary hovering around $51,000 a year. They also have a teacher shortage with nearly 10,000 vacancies, which means substitute teachers are often utilized to fill in the gaps, sometimes filling in for an entire school year. Now, to try to make up for the teacher shortage, Governor Ron DeSantis, who was reelected yesterday, over the summer signed into law legislation that would allow military veterans with no prior teaching experience the ability to take on classes. Go figure. That's what's happening. And this teacher shortage, it's happening everywhere. The pandemic kind of uh, made things worse. There was virtual learning. There was tax on public education. Teachers said, you know what? This job just ain't worth it anymore. So they left. And now we have a teacher shortage, not just in Florida again, but around the country. I just had a story recently uh, out of New York City. In September, 21,700 school workers left their jobs. These are school workers and teachers. That's in, that's in New York City in the month of September. So that shows you the severity of the problem. So Andrew Sparr will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now a brief look into the world of labor brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, as you know, yesterday we had the midterm elections and we still, as of, well, early this morning, we record the show in the morning. We don't have the final results. Right now the Republicans are taking the lead. In the U.S. Congress, they need 218, and as of now, they have 198. It looks like they'll take over the House, but the Senate, that's up for grabs because Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Nevada still don't have clarity in their uh, Senate races. But uh, I can't say this. It wasn't the red wave that many had predicted. No, 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 no. It definitely tilted to the Republican side, but it wasn't dramatic. And I'm not going to get into all the details. Well, except for the state of Ohio. There's no doubt there from the governor on down. 
Republicans uh, took all offices, including the uh, the Senate. That's going to go to J.D. Vance over Tim Ryan in labor. Pretty much 100% supported Tim Ryan in that position. Weyerhaeuser workers across Oregon and Washington have returned to work with a new union contract. And this comes after a strike that went on 48 days and cost the company over $50 million. You got to ask the question, if you're in business, do you really want your workers to go out for that long and lose that amount of money? That's right. Weyerhaeuser executives detail the impacts of what they called a work stoppage. 860,000 tons of logs not harvested. 230 million board feet of lumber not milled. Those figures include both the third quarter, which ended September 30th, and the fourth quarter, which we're in now. The strike cost the company about $50 million in earnings. Just on the logging side of its operation, not counting the mills, their gross earnings, they dropped 52% in the third quarter compared to the second quarter. However, get this, the CEO of the company attributed that to softening in the pricing of lumber. It wasn't the work stoppage. It was the softening in the price of lumber. Well, here's the deal. It's a a four-year collective bargaining agreement. It was narrowly approved at in-person union meetings at the end of uh, October. The vote was 54.9% in favor, with close to 85% of the membership voting. The new agreement covers close to 1,200 workers at four sawmills, two log export facilities, two statewide log truck operations, and seven logging camps. And they're all members of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Regarding wages, they'll go up 14% over four years, starting with a 5.5% increase retroactive to June 1. Wages at Weyerhaeuser, they average about 26 bucks an hour. The agreement also includes a $3,000 signing bonus. It increases the pay premium for working, swing, graveyard, and weekend shifts to a dollar an hour. That's up from 60 cents. Also adds a second week of paid vacation to workers in their first three years on the job. And it rises gradually to five weeks a year in year 20. Finally, it allows workers to be paid annually for any unused sick leave. Previously, they were paid for only part of that. That's that's pretty significant. Most companies, if you don't use your sick leave, you, you lose it. You lose it. Now, the agreement also contains what union members look as a concession. For the first time, they'll be paying a portion of health insurance premiums directly from their paychecks. The company backed off its earlier insistence that workers pay a percentage of premiums. Instead, they'll pay a fixed dollar amount that stays the same throughout the four-year contract, $24 a month for individual coverage or about $70 for family coverage. So obviously in any negotiation, there's going to be some uh, give and take. So uh, 
It's hard to believe, though, that $50 million figure. Wow, that's how much the company lost. And that was over 48 days. Resident physicians at the Montefiore Medical Center, this is out of New York City, one of the largest teaching hospitals there, announced their intention to form a union with the Committee of Interns and Residents. Now, that group is affiliated with the Service Employees International Union. After an organizing campaign that started more than a year ago, a supermajority of the 1,200-plus person unit has requested immediate, immediate voluntary recognition. By the way, this uh, effort, which is historic, is the most recent in an ongoing wave of house staff unionization across the country, with more than 2,000 residents choosing to uh, join the union within the last six months. Some uh, some uh, historic effort there, no doubt about that. All right, time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to link in with the Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 51, back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to the state of Maryland right now. And joining us on our live line is Brian Cordian. Brian is the business manager, secretary, treasurer of the Painters and Allied Trades, IUPAT District Council 51. And it's quite a territory. They, uh, they serve Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., big territory, and they currently have over 1,500 active members. Brian, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Doing fantastic. Thank you for the inv- invitation. 
So is that right? I got that off your website. You're still about uh, 1,500 active members. Is that correct? Yeah, in around there, yep. Okay, good. And the territory, that's that's a pretty uh, significant territory. Well, talk to me about yourself. I, I was reading earlier, you decided to uh, become a member back in June of 99. What made you go in that direction? Tell me that story, Brian. Well, I was in, uh, back in 99, I was actually in high school. And in the summer times, uh, I used to work at a, a building down in Washington, D.C. In order to, to work in that building, you had to be a card carrying member of a union organization. So uh, with my family having history with the IUPAT, I then joined the IUPAT District Council 51 back in 1999. I see. I see you worked as a painter part-time in the summer and uh, just just really kind of got real accustomed to the trade, went through the apprenticeship program. How, how was the apprenticeship program for you? Can you reflect back on that time? It was great. I mean... Uh, the one great thing that I got from like '99 to when I entered into the apprenticeship program in the, the mid 2000s was because from '99, basically through high school and college, I, I painted. Um, and then once, what I learned during those years is that I didn't want to paint. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I uh, I ended up becoming a glazer, an architectural yeah. and glass worker, which is another affiliated trade within the IUPAT. So in, in 2005, I I joined uh, Glazer Local 963 on the district council 51's umbrella of local unions and uh, started on my career path as a glazer um that program i mean it was a four-year program um you know and the funny thing is is coming you know actually i went to college i graduated college so really seeing both ends of that um from going into a university to then the coming out and going through a registered apprenticeship program um you know Granted, I did learn some things through college, but, uh, you know, the training that you get in registered apprenticeship program, uh, especially not just the classroom work, but the hands-on training that you receive day in and day out from your your journeymen and mentors on the job site is uh, really unmatched, really, in, in my opinion, from what you would get in within a college system. Mm-hmm. Now, you did graduate from college, is that right? Yes, I did. Okay, what, what's, your, what's your degree in? I uh, I went to Shepherd University out in uh, right in West Virginia. There, I uh, graduated degree in uh, sport and event management. Okay, well that's interesting background sport sport management, and now you're uh, with District Council Fifty One. Well, there, there's things in college you do learn as far as uh, as as far as some critical thinking, critical learning. Yeah, like, absolutely, th- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so it all worked out, and I see you became um, business manager a couple of years ago. How's that been working for you? And, and and maybe you can even talk to me about that part because you became business manager when the pandemic hit. That that had to be an interesting part of your life. Yeah, it was. Uh, the last two years have been kind of chaotic. You know, um, you know, going into being a business manager during COVID uh, was definitely interesting times to say the least, um, but. Also, times that really, uh, you know, help build a strong foundation because during COVID, uh, a big thing that I know we did as the IUPAT and probably a lot of other union organizations as well was you know, make sure that we're out there supporting our members and what was going on, uh, whether it was making, you know, getting on the job sites, making sure the job sites were safe, they had their masks, the proper PPE, uh, you know, the social distancing, 
uh, as required for a construction job site. Um, and just really just trying to make sure our members were safe. Um, and ultimately, I think that, that builds a really strong foundation as you move forward. And, and uh, for at least for myself, being able to be able to get out there, connect uh, with the members, with the contractors, and kind of work through a really difficult uh, time in, in a lot of people's lives. Right, right. Looking back, I mean, would you have done anything differently? I mean, that was a very complicated time, and it became a political issue and all that. But how how do you view that today, Brian? I think when you look back on it, um, you know, the, the great thing about our organization, obviously, and, and as well as a lot of other union organizations, is our is our structure. So we got a lot of a lot of great guidance and feedback from our internationals. We got the we would hold monthly calls with all the business managers across North America uh, to see what everybody was going through to kind of get kind of get best practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and see what everybody was doing, seeing what everybody was going through, um, so that we knew you had we had a stronger pulse on on how to react. You know, it, it's not always good. You don't want to be reactive, but during COVID, you, didn't, you really had much of a choice. I mean, right. they were changing guidelines week to week at first, then month to month. Um, but looking back on it, I think uh, I think we did as good as we could have done within those you know those situations. Um, and I know moving forward, you know hopefully not uh, we, if we encounter something else again such as at least I think we're all a lot more better prepared for yeah. what that what that could look like moving forward you know it's not like you had a playbook how to work through a pandemic you know that wasn't available to you was it no I, I, if it was I didn't, I didn't catch that one <laughs> you, know, so, <laughs> you know and you know from the training because you got not only the union side of it with the, the members working out in the field but you also have the training side of it you, know, you have registered apprenticeship programs. You have people coming in. Uh, you know those those members need to come in for their classes, for the education and training to get their advancements through the program. So it was a very tricky circumstance. Um, but like I said, I think we were we were built. You know, prior to COVID, we were built in you know in a good way because of how we've adapted to, to technology and having a learning management system and things online for the members to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just one of those things where you, a lot of people didn't know why we were doing all these things. And then something like that comes in and a lot of people saw the value really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, I want to talk about the work in that area and it, Maryland, Virginia, Washington, DC. That's, that's all part of uh, district council 51 of the painters and allied trades. And you know, there's that bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, the painters are involved in a lot of the, the bridge work. I mean, the, the sign and display conventions are back. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on right now. How are we, uh, how are we faring right now? And I, I kind of want to drive you into the apprenticeship program because from what I've been gathering here as host of America's Workforce, there's a lot of work out there. And we, we need skilled workers to handle the job and we want to drive them obviously to, to unions. So how are we looking right now, Brian? I mean, I think in all areas of professions, there is a, a workforce shortage. Uh, some of that shortage is just from maybe that there's no wages tied to those jobs and then there's a shortage there. But I think across the board, I think that's just, it is what it is right now. Um, you know, that's a lot of people during pandemic, yeah, you know, people say they don't want people don't want to work. They just know they don't want to work for you know, subpar wages. If they're going to go out there and and work, they want to be paid for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that came out of COVID. Um, but you know, with all the infrastructure money that's coming out, we actually had an event 
on Sunday, uh, you know, we're partnering with uh, Employee Prince George's County locally to do like a like an infrastructure academy. We haven't branded it out completely, but uh, ultimately what we're building is a partnership together to make sure that there is a, a workforce hub for the construction industry um, in Prince George's County. So anybody that's interested in construction, there's our doors are open. Uh, we're working hand-in-hand with Employee Prince George's County to get them through the processes, uh, educate them uh, on, on what the building trades look like, uh, and then, you know, if they want to, depending on the trade they want to be in, they'll have options ahead of them uh, at that point. Um, you know, and like you mentioned, it's it's a lot of work coming out, you know, between, you know, for us with the IUPAT, yes, you had the bridges, you know, water infrastructure, you know, airports, schoolwork. Um, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's our time right now to try to you know, stand up and, and get this stuff done. Yeah, um, it, it's it's truly important, especially coming, you know, because what we're all dealing with right now is, and really, this infrastructure bill that that uh, President Biden and the administration passed is going to come at a better time, right? So we're sitting here dealing with the aftermath of a pandemic. So, you know, people weren't able to go to work. Manufacturing was down there in those times. People lost their jobs. Now that we're now that's become more the norm of, of COVID. Now we're dealing with these, you know, the job shortages and things like that. So this money coming out is really is going to show, like, you know, have a big flex on on what our where our economy can go, mm-hmm. and for us to be able to be in line with that to make sure that we're partnering with the right agencies and uh, to get the work to our contractors, so ultimately then our members can get on these jobs and work. It's just it's a huge opportunity for us. How are you doing in the schools? I ask this question of so many business managers because, uh, and in your case, you did go to college. But um, there's a lot of people that are saying, eh, I don't know about college today because of the cost of college. And then you got student loan debt dealing with that. And a big part of that issue, counselors, those high school counselors, well, they get pretty much graded on how many high school kids end up going to college. The school gets graded and all that. I'm just wondering how you're faring in that area, Maryland, Virginia, Washington, uh, kind of like a uh, definitely a hot bit of political activity in that area too. We can even touch on that. But how are we doing as far as reaching out to young people in their, in their you know, 16, 17, 18 years of age and getting them involved in the trades, especially the painters in your case? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a focus for us. Uh, we were really gearing up pre-COVID. Uh, I'd say in 2017-18, uh, our apprenticeship program, the Finishing Trades Institute, was awarded uh, grant funding from a program called Earn Maryland. Uh, part of that program was to increase, uh, you know, our you know getting to, into the school systems, providing in-school youth programs, out-of-school youth programs to uh, you know the youth that this. Some was going to be for direct placement into our apprenticeship program and into employment. Some was just for just like a career exploration of, you know, what what are what is this individual's options as they as they come to the end of of high school, right? Um, and then COVID came across and kind of you know push us off course of what we've been trying to do, um, you know, and it's it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, there's obviously you. You have the standard um, job fairs, career fairs, 
uh, there are a lot of good good things that happen with the counselors nowadays. Uh, and it's something that we're actually building out right now with one of our partners, Employee Print Insurance County. Um, but what we're looking to get back into is more of that, you know, during the summer times, partnering with workforce agencies to engage in the youth, um, you know, to just, to, again, to show them what their options are in, in this mm-hmm. world ahead of them, uh, besides yeah. uh, college. Um, and, you know, something that I learned when I was going through this, I was the apprenticeship training director prior to being business manager. Um, we were really big on, on pre-apprenticeship back then because uh, it was one of those things. Someone used to always tell me, you got to create your journeyman, create your journey, your journey worker, your journey worker. I said, we got to start creating our apprentices, right? Like we need to try to provide some training before they're even on the job site um, to help with recruitment, help with retention efforts, and to keep you know people in these jobs. This isn't an easy career path uh, to be in. Sometimes it's seasonal. Um, and, you know, people need to have the understanding and the skill set uh, as well as the tools, right, and the soft mm-hmm. skills to to do this work. Um, but we were really active doing it, and I actually had an opportunity to meet with junior achievements, uh, I'd say it was like seven years, six, seven years ago. And they're the ones that actually planted the bug with me about, you know, it starts in middle school. You know, we, we always focus so hard on, 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 on high school. But yeah. really, I think we got to peel back the onion a little bit further and start talking to, you know, getting into middle schools, whether it's like going, you know, once a year to like a career fair and setting up like a, we get, everybody's got the, the VR technology nowadays. Yeah. Um, get in there and show them we have a virtual sprayer. We got virtual area lift, virtual, uh, you know, AIMS taping tools, all kinds of things we got. Go in there and show these kids that, now, this is a pretty cool thing out there, and, and working with your hands and doing these things is—it's it, fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, ultimately, that's that's kind of the direction I know we're going. Uh, I have a great partner in our billing trades. Uh, my brother Stephen Courtney is the president of the uh, Baltimore DC billing trade. So, being able to work with him and, and our other affiliates, uh, other billing trades is uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, especially this upcoming summer, because I think that's when a lot of this stuff's going to start rolling out. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that's that's fascinating about the the painters and allied trades is is the creative part. The uh, And I, I'm focusing on the, gla- and you know this because you're a glazer, glazers, architectural metal and glass workers. I mean, that is a skilled craft. And, and I could only imagine when somebody completes a job like that i mean that that's like a work of art and you got to be pretty darn proud to do something like that and that being said it takes a lot of training that's where the apprenticeship program comes in um i would imagine and and i know you worked i was reading earlier your bio you were pretty much for six years the director of apprenticeship and training up until the time that you became a business manager secretary treasurer i'm i'm sure you had a number of stories where you saw young people kind of attach themselves to that and they took it to unbelievable heights anything you could share with us brian about that you know some of i mean when i during those years you know i think it was because i was a part-time trainer before that and during those years within the apprenticeship program i mean i have some really like really really proud memories um you know 
in, in that position, you're able to see someone come in. Um, it doesn't matter the age um, or, you know, you know, demographic or anything like that. They come in and they more or less don't know a whole lot about what, what they're going to be doing. And you sure. get to really work with them and, and, and grow them and assist them in, in, in grooming them to, to becoming a journey person. Um, you know, some of my my like, best memories I have are these are the work that we do within these school systems. Um, for example, we work with D.C. public schools on a career bridge program where we work with in-school uh, youth three days a week, and then at the end of the program, we try to place them into employment. Uh, we've had multiple placements to where uh, the youth are coming out. They're, they're 18 years old. Um, and we've had numerous ones come to our apprenticeship program, um, graduate. Now they're making, you know, high wages, good, a good living wage, pension, health care. Uh, we've done the same thing for uh, we ran some reentry programs. Um, you know, I remember one individual, I think he was incarcerated for around 30 years and came out. Uh, same thing. We got him placed to work uh, and went through the apprenticeship program, graduated. Um, and just to see people be able to, you know, take, you know, take advantage of the opportunity that is provided. And mm-hmm. that's all, that's all we do as a labor union is we provide opportunity and support, but we, it's up to the individual to really make it all that they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and to see people just really do that, uh, it's, it's incredible to watch and it's definitely one of the most gratifying pieces to to the job for sure. And Brian, what's really great about the painters, and, and to your point, you started out as a painter and you said, you know, I don't know if I like doing this, and then you decided to go into glazing. And you have that opportunity with the painters and allied trades. You got painters, decorators, paper hangers, drywall finishers, mentioned the glazers. I talked about the glass workers, architectural metal. I mean, sign and display. There's a lot of different components to your union. So if one doesn't hit your hot button, you just jump to the other. So all good stuff, all good stuff. Brian, I'm going to leave it on that note. Brian Cordian joining us on our live line. He is the business manager, secretary treasurer of IUPAT District Council 51, 1,500 active members, Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. Work is going well. Um, And the website, again, IUPATDC51.com for complete information. Let's do this again. I, I enjoyed the conversation with you. I, I like uh, I like the direction of the union. You got a great leader. You know that Jimmy Williams Jr. He's been on the show yeah, a number of times. Absolutely, he's phenomenal. Okay. He's, he's the best man. Any parting words for our audience before we go? No, just uh, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir on this one. But you know, just if you are a union, make sure if you are a union member, make sure you're active in your union. Uh, union is. Is it anything without its membership? Uh, and if you're listening to this and you aren't, you know, there's lots of unions out there that represent all kind of workers, probably in the same field you're working in today. And if you're not, you know, necessarily the happiest about your situation, do some research. There's lots of organizations out there just like ours that would like to represent you, not just in the construction industry, but in service industries and other ones as well. Well said, my man. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going down to the state of Florida. We're going to check in with Andrew Spar, who heads the Florida Education Association. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. 
It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L I U N A. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those uh, five-star ratings. You know, I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, that it looks like the Workers' Rights Amendment in Illinois did pass. We don't have all the precincts reporting as of the recording of this uh, show, but uh, support close to 60%, 60% of the vote is going in favor of the Workers' Rights Amendment, which would enshrine collective bargaining into the Constitution. Now, I don't have any information yet on uh, right to work being enshrined in Tennessee. We'll, uh, we'll get to that probably on the show tomorrow. Right now, let's go down to the state of Florida. And joining us, no stranger to America's workforce, Andrew Spar, who is the president of the Florida Education Association, um, born in New York City, educated at The Ohio State University, and uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen with the teaching profession in Florida now that Ron DeSantos was reelected. Andrew Spar, welcome back to America's workforce. So what, what, what's your take? What's your take on what happened in your state yesterday? Go ahead. Well, I will tell you, you know, I, I like looking for positives in, in what we do. And last night here in Florida, uh, we had um, uh, we passed almost every referendum to fund our public schools. And in Florida, the way it works, our legislature and state fund our public schools and then voters can add 
to it uh, if they so choose. And uh, last night, there were 16 referendum on the ballots across the state of Florida in, in various counties, uh, and 15 of the 16 passed, most of them overwhelmingly passed, which goes to show that voters in Florida believe in their public schools. They support their public schools and they support the people who work there because many of those referendum were specifically targeted to address teacher and staff pay uh, in Florida. And we have uh, nationwide a massive teacher and staff shortage. But here in Florida, I would argue it is worse than anywhere else uh, in the nation. We have well over 5,000 teacher vacancies uh, and well over 4,000 vacancies among our support staff, our bus drivers, our maintenance workers, our cafeteria workers, our custodians and others. Uh, So, you know, that's an important thing for us. Uh, Of course, when we look at the governor's race, it didn't go the way we wanted to. But I got to tell you, here in Florida, we have been working for the last four years on building relationships on both sides of the aisle. And so Mm -hmm. I really feel like we're well positioned, even with uh, some major disappointment last night. Well, Andrew, that's good to hear. But I I guess I need a little clarification here on these referendums, because uh, from what I've been gathering, you have a record surplus in your state, the state of Florida, close to twenty two billion dollars. And you rank 48th nationally in terms of teacher pay. So so from my takeaway on that, so the state has the money to pay the teachers, but they're pushing this on the local communities then is is that what's going on here? Yeah, local communities are stepping up because the state fails in its responsibilities to adequately fund public schools in the state of Florida. Florida is one of the wealthiest states in the nation. I think we're the third wealthiest state or fourth wealthiest state in the nation, yet we rank 45th in the nation in funding for our public schools. And and as you pointed out, 48th in the nation in what we pay uh, our teachers. Uh, Interestingly enough, Florida, uh, over the last few years, has put a lot of laws into place which really restrict how we bargain teacher pay, and it's actually hurt teachers with experience. We all know that when you go somewhere and if you have kids in the schools, you want teachers who have proven themselves, you know, who've been there for a while. And this is not a slight at teachers who just come into the profession. But I remember when I started teaching my first few years, I feel sorry for those kids. I was learning a lot in those first few years. And as educators, we learn every year and get better at our craft every year. Uh, and so, you know, you want teachers with experience. Yet in Florida, there are over 20 different laws that work against teachers with experience. We actually call it the teacher experience penalty uh, here in Florida. And these are laws passed by the legislature, signed by the governor. And, uh, and of course, they work against uh, doing what's right for our public schools and for the students who are there. And it has led to this massive teacher and staff shortage. So, so these laws that you just referenced, did they all happen under DeSantis? That was the person that was reelected yesterday? Yeah, they started under Governor Rick Scott. Uh, so they've been in place now growing for the last uh, 12 years, about 11, 12 years. And they have grown exponentially under uh, Governor DeSantis. His policies have been one in which he has really gone after teachers with experience, uh, both in terms of pay and, quite honestly, in terms of policy. And it's really this idea of devaluing the expert, which we've seen in a lot of 
situations across this nation in a lot of professions. But that's what we've really been suffering under here in Florida is this devaluing the profession. When you have teachers who have been teaching 15, 20 years, 25 years, walking out of the profession before they reach retirement age, uh, you know something seriously wrong because typically most of the teachers we lose in the profession, which has always had a high turnover rate, is in the first five years. And once you hit year 10, you pretty much know you're making it a career out of it. We have career educators walking away from the profession because it's gotten so bad here in the state of Florida. And do you have any tracking? Where are they? are they staying in Florida? Are they go to other states. I mean, they got a teaching degree. They got experience and all that. There's, there's got to be uh, there's got to be some other state that might treat them a little bit better. Do you hear any, you hear from these people at all? Yeah, some people do go to other states, uh, but I will tell you, uh, teachers are highly sought after as uh, great employees. And so we have a lot of teachers who have gone into real estate and done very well or gone into other professions. Uh, People like teachers. They love teachers. And so do other employers. And so you're seeing people uh, literally being recruited away from the teaching profession. Uh, and going elsewhere, making more money, dealing with a lot less uh, stress and anxiety, uh, and certainly not being the focus of of some politicians who want to demean and and impugn uh, the integrity of teachers. Andrew, I got some more questions. I want to talk about the the bill that was actually signed into law that would allow military vets with no prior teaching experience – to become a teacher that's that's baffling to me andrew spar joining us on our live line he's president of the florida education association website is feaweb.org back in a few minutes this is america's workforce it takes layuna to keep america running over 70,000 public employees are part of layuna the laborers international union of north america delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. 
America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, if you like a show, please share that show. We, uh, we count all the downloads, and our sponsors certainly like that. And uh, we want to get the message out of America's workforce, an alternative voice out there. Boy, there's a lot of voices out there, and this one is getting pretty loud. We're closing in on the top 10% of all podcasts in America, so we do appreciate you listening. awfpodcast.com for all the shows are archived there. Let's go back down to uh, Florida, rejoin Andrew Sparr, who's president of the Florida Education Association. Andrew, talk to me about this piece of legislation that would allow military vets to teach in schools, even though they don't have any teaching experience. How did that become law? That, uh, that's baffling to me. What's the story on that? Yeah, yeah it's a rule that the governor in, in put into place here in Florida. And, and I will just say this, you know, uh, I have the utmost respect for folks who served in the military and serve our country. Uh, and we actually have a lot of programs that bring them into the teaching profession. The Troop to Teachers program is one of the national programs uh, that gets and helps uh, folks who are in the military and want to go into the teaching profession get into the teaching profession. We also have the junior ROTC officers uh, who work in our schools teaching side-by-side uh, side with us uh, with kids who may one day want to go into the military. Um, and so uh, there are already programs in place. What, what this does is it basically says we're going to remove temporarily the requirements that people need to be considered a certified teacher. We're going to provisionally certify them for five years while they work on getting their bachelor's degree. And quite honestly, uh, my concern is twofold. One, obviously, is the idea of reducing the standards for people who are teaching our kids. And the other, of course, is this uh, notion that we're setting these folks up who are coming into the teaching profession. Teaching is hard. It is not an easy profession. And even folks who have gone through programs, who have all kinds of training before they go into the classroom, struggle with 50% of them leaving in the first five years. People who have degrees, college degrees, uh, maybe in business administration or, or some other area, uh, who come into the teacher profession through an alternative certification program, 80% of them leave uh, in the first five years. And now you're talking about bringing people in who have even less uh, requirements met uh, I just think you're setting them up for failure, and I think we're going to see this scenario where you're going to see a really high failure rate, and why do we want to do that to anyone, right? So I just think it's it's wrong on so many levels, uh, and it's not good for kids, and it doesn't do anything to address the massive teacher and staff shortage we have in the state. And how many how many vacancies do you have right now in the state of Florida, Andrew? We we have over five thousand teacher vacancies and over four thousand vacancies among our support staff. Again, these these are numbers we've never seen before. Uh, we started this year with over nine thousand teacher vacancies. Uh, and and just to put things in perspective, in Florida here, FEA, the Florida Education Association, and our local unions around the state have recruited almost twelve thousand new members this year. That's how many new members we've recruited. Uh, we're about where we were last year after doing that, because there are so many people who are leaving the profession in droves. It's so hard to keep up with the, the fact that 
districts are having are struggling to hire and of course we're struggling then to, if there's no one there you can't get them to join the union uh, yeah. but we are leading uh, the nation in the number of new uh, members we've recruited into our union because even with what we saw happen yesterday in the elections here in florida florida is still a very pro-union state in a lot of respects um, you know we were one of the first ones to organize a starbucks in the state of florida we have several starbucks that have organized this past year um, and you know we are seeing union unionization increase here in the state of florida like we are so many places around the nation well you are a right to work state and with that being said i'm i'm wondering here do you have a lot of uh, free riders or how are you handling that situation because they get the union benefits and they they uh, they don't have to pay for them yeah, so, so there's a couple of things, right, enshrined in our Constitution. You talked about this earlier for Illinois. We do have the right to collectively bargain in our Constitution, and we have the right to belong to a union. Um, of course, people call it right to work. I call it right to work for less, uh, but um, – but that is in our constitution. And so statewide among our teachers, we have about 60% of teachers who belong to the union. It's lower among our support staff. So as a whole, about a little over 50% of our uh, potential in the state of Florida belong to our union. Uh, but I will say this, um, in Florida, it's a little unique in terms of how we represent. We are not required to represent those who choose not to belong to the union. So, yes, they get the benefits under the contracts we negotiate. But if they have an issue in Florida, we do not represent those who do not um, who, who do not uh, who make a decision not to join their union. If they gotcha. want uh, support with contract enforcement or if they have a challenge, an accusation, a grievance, uh, we only represent those who are members. Andrew, I got one more question here for you. I know charter schools are big all around the country. How are we doing in Florida? as far as organizing some of those charter schools? Because, you know, they were pretty much uh, developed by politicians who didn't want the union involved. But that's that's changing. I know it's happening in the state of Ohio. What's the situation there? Yeah, we have a couple of charter schools that are part of our union. Those are charter schools that are actually run by government entities. Uh, outside of that, we have not really embarked much on organizing of charter schools. Uh, but, you know, the reality of it is, there are 3 million students in the state of Florida who attend Florida's public schools. And, you know, we believe in supporting our public schools. And, and there are lots of examples of charter schools and voucher schools that fail and fail miserably uh, here in the state of Florida. And that's why our focus has been on our public schools and, and really supporting our public schools. And again and again, parents choose public schools. There you go. Andrew Sparr, president of the Florida Education Association, FEAweb.org is the website. Andrew, hang in there. Congratulations on those referendums. At least you found a bright spot yesterday in the state of Florida. Stay in touch with us and stay safe. Okay, brother? Will do. Thanks so much. Have a great day. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, I'm going to check in with the United Auto Workers and the Indiana State Building Trades. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.